Scripture reading this morning will be from two passages, the first from 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we will read the entire chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Second Samuel chapter 6, and we will begin at verse 1 and read through to the end of the chapter. We read God's word as follows. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahiho, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahiho went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? And so David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. And so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horns. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it, and David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today uncovering himself before the eyes of the servants, female servants as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord 
who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. And we will now turn to the Gospel of Mark, Mark 11, and read verses 1 through 10. There we read the account of the triumphal entry. Mark 11, verses 1 through 10, and we'll begin at verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter in, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So far, our reading from Mark. We will now sing in response Psalm 1. Our text this morning comes to us from our reading in Second Samuel 6 the verses 16 through 23, and we will read them again, 2 Samuel 6, verses 16 through 23. There we read God's word as follows, As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord, who chose me above your father and above all his house, to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. 
I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. So far from Scripture. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, the preacher in Ecclesiastes tells us better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Many of you have probably experienced the truth of these words. You undertake a project with excitement and patiently wait its completion, and when that project comes to an end, You have reason to rejoice. You might apply these words to the building of a new house. You have a plan, and each step of the way, you see the building emerge step by step. And for most of us in this world of instant gratification, it can be hard to wait. But patience will ensure that every part of the building process is performed correctly. In the end, as you move in, you will have reason to rejoice at the completion of your fine new home. And we see something similar to this in the book of Samuel. The Lord is building a house for his servant David, not of bricks and mortar, but a household or a dynasty. 2 Samuel 6 relays to us the final step in the removal of the old dynasty of Saul and the establishment of a new and better kingship under David. All through the pages of Samuel, we read how David patiently awaits the fulfillment of God's promises. It gives David and the people of Israel reason to celebrate that at long last, the ark of God was being restored to its rightful place in Israel. Actually, congregation... It gives us reason to celebrate as well. Therefore, I preach to you God's word under the following theme and points. Having taken his rightful place in Israel with the return of the ark, the Lord enacts his plan for the kingship. First, by blessing the house of David. Second, by removing the house of Saul. And finally, by redeeming the house of Israel Congregation, our text begins in verse 16 where we observe two strikingly different responses to the arrival of the ark in Jerusalem. We read, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Two questions quickly come to mind. First, why was David so exuberant in his worship before the Lord? And secondly, why was Michael so put off by her husband's excitement? And to answer the first question, we need to understand the significance of the ark of the Lord in the history of God's plan of redemption. The ark was not just some fancy box that belonged in the tabernacle of the Lord. No, 
the Lord himself, was enthroned between the cherubim as we read in the beginning of chapter 6, where it states, The ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. This was the same ark that had resided in the tabernacle in the most holy place where the presence of God was in the midst of his people. Since the tabernacle had been set up in Exodus 40 until the fall of the house of Eli at the beginning of 1 Samuel, the ark had remained in the tabernacle. God dwelt among his people and they had lived under his blessing. And even in the midst of their oppression that was often ushered in by their own disobedience, God had blessed his people with deliverance time and again. We read about it all through the book of Judges. But with the fall of the house of Eli, this had come to a tragic end. The ark had been captured by the Philistines and the people had mourned its loss. Their sentiments were expressed well by Phineas' dying wife, who named her son Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed from Israel. And all through the ensuing chapters, we read about the return of the ark from the Philistines. The ark, the very presence of God, does not return to center stage. You would think that after the people had mourned the loss of the ark, that they would be eager to live in the presence of the Lord again, under his blessing. But the ark is sitting off on the sidelines in the house of Abinadab on the hill, according to 1 Samuel 7, verses 1 and 2. And in all this time, the Israelites don't restore the ark to its rightful place. No, in fact, they go one step further. They don't reestablish the ark to its place of prominence. But rather they demand a king. And the Lord responds to the people. That they have rejected me from being king over them. God was their king. But the people didn't want him. They wanted an earthly king instead. And we see the patience and the long suffering of our God. He gives the people what they want. A king like all the nations around them. He gives them Saul. A man of royal bearing, having wealth and stature, being from a rich family. He was handsome and tall, a sight to behold. 1 Samuel 9 verse 2 says, There was not a man among the people more handsome than he. This was a king they could follow. A man after the people's own heart. And the Lord in his mercy says to the people, If both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. 1 Samuel 12, 14. But you know how it ends, beloved. All was not well. Saul shows that he was not a man after God's own heart. And before going out to meet the Philistines in battle, he disobeys the Lord by offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings that were to be presented by the prophet Samuel. And as a result, the Lord chastises Saul. He says, You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. 
The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And further into the book of Samuel, we read about Saul's failure to utterly destroy the Amalekites along with all their possession in direct violation to the Lord's command. So that the Lord regretted having made Saul king. If Saul had only acknowledged the Lord as the true king of Israel by living in obedience to God's command, then the Lord would have established his house as an eternal house. But considering Saul's disobedience, it's not all that surprising that the ark remained on the sidelines. Israel and her king had not acknowledged the true king of Israel, who resided between the cherubim upon the ark. But all this was going to change with the coming of a king after God's own heart. And we meet that king in the person of David. This time the Lord does not choose according to the desires of the people. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. And so he chooses a man after his own heart. And in the following chapters we see David's rise to power. It's striking that David does not take matters into his own hands. But he patiently waits for the Lord to establish him upon the throne, just as he promised. He does not raise his hand against Saul, the anointed of the Lord, seeking to live in submission to his heavenly king. And the Lord is indeed faithful. Saul's reign comes to an end on the battlefield with the Philistines when he takes his own life making the way clear for David to ascend to the throne, first of Judah and then of all Israel. And after capturing the Jebusite city of Jerusalem, David establishes his capital there, calling it the city of David. And through all his victories and rise to power, David never forgot who had made it all possible. 2 Samuel 5 verse 12 says, And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And that brings us back to the ark. It was natural that a king who acknowledged the blessing of the Lord would want the ark where the Lord dwelt amongst his people, restored to its rightful place of prominence. David, the chosen king of Israel, wanted his kingdom to live under the blessing of their true king once again. What could have been more desirable than that? And yet, in David's haste to bring up the ark, he neglected to follow the prescribed method for doing so. As we read in 2 Samuel 6, they put the ark of the Lord on a cart, just like the Philistines had years ago. And with similar results. The Lord had struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh when the ark had first returned from the Philistines because they had not handled the ark properly. And we see the same thing happen with Uzzah, who stuck out his hand to steady the ark upon the cart as David brought it up. God's presence was attached to the ark, and he was holy. 
No unclean thing could come into his presence and live. The ark was to be carried upon the shoulders of the priests, a show of respect and esteem. The dwelling place of their God was to be held up. And as a result, the events which started with joy ended in bitterness. Our reading informs us that after this, David was afraid of the Lord. He wondered how the ark could be brought up to Jerusalem. You could imagine his disappointment as he opts to take the ark aside to the house of Obed-Edom. After the death of Uzzah, David was unsure about the Lord's intention. Would he bless his house? Or would David be struck down because of the Lord's holy presence? But three months later, David learns the answer. That the house of Obed-Edom was experiencing the blessing of the Lord. We need to stop here, brothers and sisters, and consider what the blessing of the Lord means. To be blessed by the Lord is to live in His abundance. He is the fount of life and goodness. Deuteronomy 28 reminds us that if you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall your, be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. This is what's happening in Obed-Edom's house. The Lord is blessing his house with abundance. The Lord did not strike Obed-Edom's house as he struck down Uzzah. No, the presence of the ark brought God's blessing. And that's exactly what David wants. To live under the blessing of the Lord. And so when David hears the reports, he goes down to take up the ark. But this time, he makes the necessary arrangements. He recognizes the holiness of our God. And we learn from the parallel account in 1 Chronicles 15 that David makes extensive preparations to have the ark brought up according to the pattern of the Lord. And then the day came for the ark to come up to Jerusalem. Imagine, brothers and sisters, the anticipation, the presence of the holy, all-powerful and infinite God. The only source of blessing was returning to its rightful place of authority within Israel with his appointed king at the forefront of the procession. It gave David reason to dance. And beloved, it gives us reason to dance because God's blessing upon all those who look to God for their salvation because the blessing upon David's house was also a blessing to all of us who look for our salvation in Jesus Christ. The blessing upon the house of David congregation pointed to the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It pointed to Christ in two ways. First, the ark represented God's presence among his people. Just like our Lord and Savior came to dwell in the midst of his people. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this in itself was a blessing worthy of the exuberant dance of David, but there's more congregation. David was blessed to serve as a type 
of the great king to come, displaying the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king, a type that pointed to Christ. From our reading in Samuel, it's clear that God had placed David as king over Israel. And as prophet, David proclaimed God's glory through his song and his dance before the ark. And finally, when he dances before the Lord in the linen ephod, he wears the garment of a priest. First Chronicles 15 verse 27 says, David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as also were all the Levites who were carrying the ark, and the singers, and Chenaniah, the leader of the music of the singers, and David wore a linen ephod. And so we see the ark of the Lord and David, the symbol of the great messianic king to come, entering the city of Jerusalem. And we realize that it is the future coming of Christ that's being proclaimed and celebrated in the streets of Jerusalem that day. And we look forward to the New Testament. We find a similar scene involving our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The triumphal entry. The people of God rejoiced with the coming of their Savior And king to the city of Jerusalem. They spread their cloaks and their palm branches on the ground before him in great joy and celebration. Mark 11, 9 and 10 says, And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Brothers and sisters, the Israelites rejoiced. That the ark where the Lord was seated came to dwell in the midst of the people. But there is still a separation. Our reading says that David housed the ark in a tent because the people's sin prevented them from coming into the presence of their holy God. But with the coming of our Savior to Jerusalem, that changed. When he died, our sins were paid in full and the temple curtain was torn so that we might enter into the holy presence of God. Our glorious king has come to dwell in the midst of his people. And he has made his dwelling place among us. Our holy God now dwells in each and every believer through the person of the Holy Spirit. We have even more reason to celebrate for such a wonderful salvation than the Israelites did back then. And that brings us back to the question at the start of the sermon. Why was David so exuberant in his worship before the Lord. Now we know. God was busy proclaiming his plan for the salvation of his people. And David was blessed to be an integral part of that plan. What a blessing. It made him dance. And yet, congregation, there were those who just didn't get it. Michael, daughter of Saul, didn't understand what all the fuss was about. And that brings us to our second question. Why was Michael so put off by her husband's excitement? And the answer will be given in our second point. The Lord enacts his plan for the kingship by removing the house of Saul. Verse 16 of our text suggests that Michael is more than just a little annoyed with David. No, it says she despised him in her heart. The language is very strong congregation. The word for despise is often used in scripture when one 
disobeyed the commandment of the Lord, regarding it as of no consequence. In 2 Samuel 12, this word is used to describe David in his act of adultery with Bathsheba. David is said to have shown contempt for the Lord. This is how Michael feels about her husband, leaping and dancing before the Lord. But given what we've already heard, how could David have done otherwise? The blessing of the Lord's presence had come to Jerusalem, through which David and all of Israel would be blessed. David understood this. And as the king of a nation of priests, he takes up the priestly task of blessing the people. They would share in the immediate benefits of having God dwell in their presence and from the leadership of God's anointed king. But they would also share in the benefits of the great messianic king to come. And David wants that blessing for his own household as well. And so in verse 20, we read that David returned to bless his household. But what does he encounter? Michael, his own wife, sarcastically showing her contempt for the Lord's anointed. It's striking that three times in our text, Michael is referred to as the daughter of Saul. She's not referred to as David's wife or by some other title, but no, the daughter of Saul. Scripture wants us to associate Michael with the house of Saul. Saul had shown no hesitation in lifting his hand against the Lord's anointed in his repeated attempts to kill David and secure the kingdom for himself and his descendants. He seemed oblivious to the fact that the Lord had told him through the prophet Samuel that the kingdom would be taken away. But that didn't stop Saul from attempting to retain the kingdom through his own efforts. Michael's complaint is founded on the same attitude of self-promotion as her father's. You can hear the sarcasm dripping from her lips. How the king of Israel honored himself today. Uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Some have concluded that David's attire was revealing and therefore shamefully inappropriate. But congregation, this position can hardly be maintained. 1 Chronicles 15 indicates that David was wearing the same type of linen robe as those carrying the ark and singing before it. Such linen robes were specifically designed to cover the priest's nakedness, as stipulated in Exodus 28, verse 42, where it says, You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. This ensured that the priests complied with the command of Exodus 20:26. 20, not to expose themselves when they went up to the altar. In addition, if David's clothes were exceedingly revealing, then so were the garments of all the Levites and the singers, which would have made the whole event a rather sordid affair. No congregation. The real reason that Michael is upset is that David had taken off his royal attire. Oh, it's true he had stripped down, but to his linen undergarments, not to nakedness. And in so doing, he had made himself like one of the common people. 
And so we should understand vulgar in this text as being common. In other words, she's saying, you had an opportunity to promote yourself in the eyes of the people and to receive all kinds of honor and glory. But what did you do? You showed yourself to be nothing more than a commoner. And that's how the people are going to see you. Your servants are going to see you as nothing but their equals. She's thinking much like her father. And David responds, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I can imagine what was going through David's head. Don't you understand? Your father's approach cost him the kingdom. He wanted to do it his own way. That's why I ended up here. God chose me to lead his people. And I'm not going to resort to the failed approach of your father. No, I will celebrate before the Lord, showing my submission and my humility before him. I was right to take off my kingly robes in deference to the true king who sits between the overshadowing wings of the cherubim upon the ark. And he goes on to say, I will make myself more contemptible than this. In other words, I will humble myself before my God even further. Our translation states what appears to be the inevitable result of such an action on David's part. There it says he would be abased further in the eyes of Michael. But the original Hebrew text reads, and I will be abased in my own eyes. This reading, congregation, is to be preferred. And it might be indicated in the footnote of your Bible, as it is in many of them. David wants to make it clear to Michael that he would not lift himself up in the eyes of the people, but rather he would see himself as the humble servant of the Lord. She might not see it, but the servant girls would understand They too had danced in humility before the Lord in great joy. They would share in God's blessing. But Michael would not. Michael's rejection of the Lord's anointed was a rejection of God's blessing as well. The blessing of the Lord was a blessing of abundance. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. The text does not give us all kinds of details about how that happened. But the text implies clearly why it happened. Michael showed contempt for the Lord's anointed king and the blessing that he would bring for God's people. She would not share in the fullness of that blessing. The Lord's house would not be built through her, ensuring the complete removal of Saul's house from the line of the coming Messiah. God wanted a humble king after his own heart. And isn't that the kind of king we observe in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Although he arrived in Jerusalem with the shouts of Hosanna, it didn't take long before the people drew the conclusion that this wasn't the kind of king they've been looking for. No, they wanted an earthly king to restore the splendor of Israel, not the humble servant that submitted to the will of the Father in heaven. Pilate challenged the Jews, Behold your king! And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. And so he delivered him over to be crucified. And so Jesus humbled himself 
in the sight of the people and in the sight of the Father, submitting to the humiliation of a shameful death on the cross. Many rejected him because he was not the kind of king that they thought he should be. But the lowly, his true servants, who rejoiced at his coming and placed their trust and hope in him, they would hold him in esteem for what he would do on the cross. They would share in the redemption of our Savior. And that brings us to our final point. The Lord enacts his plan for the kingship by redeeming the house of Israel. And as I mentioned earlier, David knew that the Lord was exalting his house for the sake of God's people. And it was fitting that in his priestly office, he sacrificed to the Lord as the ark went up to Jerusalem. Although it was unlikely that David performed all the sacrifices himself, he ensured that proper sacrifices were being offered, both burnt offerings and peace offerings. These offerings are significant, brothers and sisters. The burnt offerings were, made, were to make atonement for the sins of the people, while the peace offerings, also known as fellowship offerings, emphasize the people's desire to be in a renewed relationship with God, to have fellowship with Him. In our text, there is a close connection between these offerings and the blessing that follows. Following the offerings, David blesses the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. David stands as God's representative to his people, a foreshadowing of the mediator to come, extending God's blessing of salvation to his people. The blessing of the Davidic kingship would be the assurance that sins would be atoned for. And a renewed fellowship with God was coming. And our text tells us that all Israel shared in the communal meal that followed. A sign that together as God's people they shared in the blessings that David had proclaimed. The ESV states that both men and women, each one received a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. The meaning of the word translated as portion of meat likely means a cake of dates. But in either case, the meaning would be quite similar. The fellowship offering allowed much of the meat to be eaten in a communal meal that displayed the people's fellowship with God. While fruit represented the abundance of God's blessing in which the people would share. Having been blessed, our text goes on to say that each one departed to his house. And there is a sense of contentment and well-being. With this conclusion, they had come to celebrate the return of the ark to its rightful place in the midst of God's people. God's presence was again at the center of life in Israel. And their merciful and gracious God had given them a king after his own heart. Who had led them in a celebration before their God. Here was a king who had blessed them with the very promises of salvation. And who had invited them to share in the communal meal. His kingship pointed forward. To the messianic king to come, they even shared in what our Lord and Savior would accomplish on the cross. They went home full. Brothers and sisters, how much more can we live in the assurance of that blessing? What was promised to God's people upon the return of the ark has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The messianic king who is both God and man has come to dwell in the midst of his people. 
He humbled himself in the sight of all men and in the sight of God, suffering the shame and contempt of the cross, so that all his children might share in his blessing of atonement and fellowship. The fulfillment of this blessing means the redemption of God's people, the household of faith. Let Michael's contempt for this blessing be a warning to us all not to live in our pride, seeking our own glory, because then we may not receive the fullness of God's blessing. No, let us humble ourselves before God by living a life of thankful praise for such a wonderful gift of salvation. We too have reason to dance and leap before the Lord because we also look forward to the final return of our King that we might take our place in the great assembly of God's elect in the heavenly Jerusalem. Described in Revelation 7, Behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. With such a great deliverance on our horizon, beloved, we too can go home today content under the blessing of the Lord. Amen.